Uh, scripture reading this morning will be taken from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 9. Have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has God. Ness has value in all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying and deserves full acceptance. Thank you, Alan. Good morning, church. It's great to see each and every one of you here today, especially those of you that are visiting. I know a lot will be traveling over this holiday weekend, and we do pray uh, that you will be safe. And also, uh, we are thankful that if you're visiting because of the holiday weekend, we are thankful that you are here uh, as well. And we encourage you and pray that you will be safe uh, as well. Dennis, I want to thank you for that prayer. Uh, also, thank you for leading us and thanking God for uh, our missionaries and the mission work that we support. Um, those guys do a great job, and we're thankful for the work that they do. Also, we're thankful for all of you who share your faith in Christ each and every day as you go throughout your life. Also, Dennis, thank you for mentioning our graduates. Last week we had two graduations. On Tuesday night we had our preschool graduation, and those young people did a great job, and I know those parents are excited about them, but also it's, uh, it's a new chapter for them. They're, they're leaving preschool, uh, the safety of preschool, if you will, and also moving on to kindergarten. So I know that that's an uh, exciting and anxious time uh, for those families as well. And then Friday, Friday night we had our high school graduation and several from this congregation were involved in that and uh, we are excited for you uh, but also uh, we lift you up in prayer and we encourage you to always remember uh, us, remember your home congregation, remember where you came from, remember your family, remember that you are loved and supported here and anything that you ever need know that we are here for you as much as possible. We're going to turn to a couple of scriptures this morning. The first one will be in 1 Timothy uh, or chapter 4. Actually, that'll be our second one. Go ahead and turn over in your Bibles to the book of James. James chapter 4, and we'll meet there in just a few minutes. Now, last week I had some um, visual aids, if you will. And don't worry, I'm not going to participate in this because uh, with my luck of hitting myself in my eye, uh, I would do it again. And so I don't want to do that. But uh, these right here are this exercise equipment, uh, a weight uh, that a lot of people use. I know John Harris has several weights. Uh, maybe you go to a gym. Uh, so we use weights. We know uh, that that helps us to build strength. In our muscles, it helps us to build our muscles. Also, uh, if you've ever seen, Dustin likes to show us or show the youth group how fast he can jump rope. Uh, Dustin, I'm not going to ask you to come up. I'm not going to do it because I don't want to hit myself. But a jump rope. A jump rope is part of a cardio exercise, right? It helps us to build up our muscles and our lungs and uh, to get used to those kind of things. And so uh, it, it's important and it comes in handy. Do you realize that uh, whether it's at home or whether it's in a gym, the health and fitness market has boomed. Millions and millions of dollars are spent on health and fitness. 
Uh, notice some of these uh, surveys and statistics. Health and fitness clubs provide their customers with the infrastructure for their workouts and physical activity in exchange for a membership fee. The global fitness and health club industry generates more than 80 billion U.S. dollars in revenue per year. The North American market had an estimated size of more than 32 billion U.S. dollars in 2017, of which around 90%, around 30 billion U.S. dollars, was attributable to the United States. The United States is the single biggest market worldwide, not only in terms of revenue, but in regards to the number of members in health and fitness clubs as well. Notice this, about 25% of people in the United States who work out at least once a month say that exercise, workout, or sports in general is part of their daily routine, according to a survey. Almost two-thirds of people who regularly exercise or have been at some point a member uh, of a health club or gym. The main reason for exercise are to stay healthy, uh, to lose weight, to optimize strength and endurance, to get better, a better-looking body and improve overall appearance. Notice this. Another survey said... The price of fitness for a lifetime weighs heavier on wallets than college tuition. Wow. Now those of us parents who are dealing with college right now, that's astronomical, isn't it? Also, the study surveyed 1,350 U.S. adults aged 18 to 65 and found that the average American spends $155 per month on their health and wellness and fitness. That's $112,000 in their entire lifetime and $13,000 more than a public four-year college education which averages about $98,000. Included in that number, Americans on average spend $33 on gym membership, $56 on health supplements, $35 on clothing and accessories for working out, $17 on healthy meal plans, and $14 on trainers. The health and fitness culture has grown tremendously, hasn't it? Especially in our culture. So when we look at jump ropes and when we look at weights and we think about gyms and we think about treadmills and all the things that we have at home, we understand the importance of working out and staying healthy, don't we? But let's, let's correlate that to having a committed faith. Paul deals with that when he writes to Timothy. But I want you to take a detour with me and go over to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, and we'll begin in verse 14. Now James here deals with faith. And James gives us an idea of what a committed faith looks like. But I want you to notice some things real quickly what James says that uh, faith or committed faith is what it looks like, but also not what it's only, okay? Look at verses 14 through 16. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So James tells us a couple of things here. First of all, James tells us that a committed faith is not just in what I say. 
You see, James says it's not just about saying you have faith, is it? He says if a man claims or if someone says to him, Jesus, you remember, says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Even Jesus talked about believing in the works that He had done. You remember John chapter 14 and verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. You see, what we say will either support, or actually what we do will either support our words or crush our words. You see, James says, listen, it's not just about what you say. Paul writes in Titus, Titus chapter 1 and verse 16. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So James says, listen, it's not just about what you say. That's not, that's not be, having a committed faith, not just saying it. Uh, also, in verses 15 and 16, he reminds us that it's not just about how we feel. You know, we may say, I understand, I feel what you're going through. But James says, listen, when you see a brother or sister destitute in daily uh, need of daily food, and you just say, hey, be warm and filled, good for you, I'm thinking about you, and you don't do anything, he said, that's a dead faith. John would say in 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and following, but whoever has the, this world's goods and sees a brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, and uh, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, tongue in words, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. You know, isn't it interesting when we read in Scripture about when Jesus had compassion on someone? Do you, do you notice what follows that? When Jesus says, or when the Bible says that Jesus had compassion on someone, do you, did you, you catch what happens afterwards? It always follows with what He does with His compassion for that individual. Look at verses 18 through 20 quickly. Uh, James would tell us something else about a committed faith. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? So James would say, listen, faith, a committed faith is more than just what I believe. It's more than just what I say. It's more than just how I feel. And it's more than just what I believe. Someone said this. Notice it. We can be orthodox or customary in our doctrine, and yet our faith can be more demonic than dynamic. You see, James says, it's not just about saying you believe. It's not just about what you believe. Someone else would say, it comes as a shock to people that demons have faith. Why do they believe? Because see, a lot of times in Scripture, it's as if the demons gave a fuller confession of faith and belief in faith 
than the apostles did sometimes. This guy goes on to say, for one thing, they believe in the existence of God. The demons do. They are neither atheists nor agnostics. They also believe in the deity of Christ. Whenever they met Christ, when He was on earth, they bore witness to His sonship. Check Mark chapter 3. They believe in the existence of a place of punishment. Luke chapter 8. And they also recognize Jesus Christ as the judge. Mark chapter 5. And they submit to the power of His Word. You see, James says it's not simply just about what you say, how you feel, or what you believe. But notice what he says it is. James chapter 2 and verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out Another way, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. James says it's not just about what you say, it's not just about how you feel, it's not just about what you believe, but it is about what you do. You see, it's called faith in action, and that's a committed faith. You see, faith is a lifestyle. It's who we are. It's what we do. It's everything about us. Paul would say in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. You remember in that day, that was a big deal. Has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. See, James would say and Paul would say it's not about it's not about saying, hey, I, I, I believe, I, I have faith, I'm saying it, I'm verbalizing it. Listen, this is the way I feel about it. Listen, this is what I believe. But James would say and Paul would say it's about what you do with your faith. That's what the important thing is. That's what a committed faith looks like. Turn back over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to notice there, Paul uses two words as it relates to health and nutrition. In verse 6, he uses the word nourished. And in verses 7 and 8, he uses the word exercise. Now, those are things that pertain to the natural body, right? But he also, like he does with the marriage relationship, makes a correlation, a connection between spiritual things. He tells Timothy he will be nourished with words of faith and of good doctrine if he shares the things that Paul has given to him. And he also tells him this, that bodily exercise is profitable for life. I don't know about you, but I've made the statement someone talks about going out running or going to the gym or things like that. And I'll say, yeah, boy, I exercise every time I pull back that recliner. I exercise every time I pick that fork up. 
And we make jokes about it, don't we? But the reality is, we know this, science has proved it, bodily exercise, bodily health and nutrition, it is profitable, isn't it? Listen to this. Investing in working out can make you a better worker too. Those who get the recommended two and a half hours of exercise each week are more energetic in the office and take fewer sick days, according to one study. And employees who spent up to 60 minutes of their lunch hour working out were 15% more productive and didn't suffer an energy crash at 3 p.m. You see, that's what survey says. That's what, that's what scientists say. And did you catch what God said? Bodily exercise profits little. Now he's making a comparison. But he says bodily exercise is profitable. It's good for us. Most people have figured that out. Science has figured that out. Though God has told us before. But his comparison is, even though we know that, even though statistics say that, even though science says that, are you with me? We know exercise profits, right? But exercising godliness, are you with me? Profits in all things. In the life that now is and the life that is to come. Now you see the comparison? Science has said it. Survey has said it. We know bodily exercise and health and nutrition is important. It's valuable. And the U.S. spends millions of dollars on it. Are you still with me? But exercising in godliness is way more profitable than bodily exercise. Because exercising in godliness is profitable for all things. I wish we had time to go into all the spiritual disciplines. There's there's a bunch of them. Some of them We talk about a lot. They seem very elementary. But just like I said last week about warning signs and saying that safety wear and safety wear is not just a suggestion. I'm living proof of that. It is important. And we know that exercise and nutrition is important. Then how much greater value are the spiritual disciplines that the Bible tells us we need to participate in. Well, what are some of those spiritual disciplines or those spiritual exercises? I want to mention just three briefly. There are a ton more. And Paul would even go on to say, look down in verse 12 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. Listen, you command and teach these things, I'm about to tell you, uh, the, the exercising godliness. 
It's more profitable than, than the exercise that, that you do. And the term that he uses in there, the exercise term that he uses, it's the same idea as a person going to a gym and exerting themselves to the utmost. Pushing themselves to the limit, right? To get better. It's the same idea in practicing these spiritual disciplines, these spiritual exercises. Paul says, you do these spiritual exercises with the same intensity as if you went to the gym. Think about some of them. Prayer. You see, prayer is a conversation with the God of the universe. That's our opportunity to speak to the God of the universe. That's not something to take lightly. But yet it's fundamental. It's a powerful exercise that helps us to have a committed faith. It's also important because so many things are competing for the attention of our minds. And when all those things are competing for the attention of our minds, if we're not careful, we can go days and weeks before we realize, listen, we've not even prayed to the God of the universe. We've not had conversation with the God of the universe. And we find ourselves in those moments trying to rely on our own strength instead of relying on God. you remember what Paul said? Paul realized through maybe some of the same mistakes, he realized, listen, when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. Because when I'm weak, that's when I'm exerting myself in the fundamental exercise of pouring my heart out to God. Paul said, pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17. To the church at Rome, he wrote in Romans chapter 12 and verse 12, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. To the Philippians, he would write, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul says, listen, when you practice this discipline of prayer, it's so fundamental and so important that it helps us not to be anxious because we give those anxieties to the Lord. It helps us to be thankful for all that God has done for us and given us. 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter writes, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that... At the proper time, He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. You see, prayer says, Father, I need You. I need You to help me in this situation. Father, I need wisdom and I need Your wisdom and I need strength that only comes from You. Why? Because He loves me and He cares for me. Spiritual exercises. Pray. It's not just a good suggestion. It's important if we want to be have a committed faith and we want our faith to be stronger. 
Another one is studying or meditating on God's Word. In verse 15 of 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, Meditate on these things. Spend time dwelling on these things. You see, God's Word is the foundation of our lives. It's how we find out God's will for us. It's not in a self-help book in the library. I'm not saying those are bad. But the fundamental will of God for His people is in His book. Apart from it, we cannot know God, or know about God rather, and know what He's like. Sure, we can see, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, aspects of God from nature, from creation. His creation speaks out about Him. But you see, it's God's Word that tells us who He really is. It's God's Word that tells us, reveals us who he, what He's really like. It's God's Word for us that tells us God's will for us. And it's God's Word that brings the reality of the creation speaking out to us about God as well. Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16, the Spirit reveals, Your words were found, and I ate them. I ate them, and Your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart, for I am called by Your name, O Lord, God of hosts. To eat God's Word means that I take them in. You see, when we hear God's Word and we meditate on them, they become to us like words of joy and a delight to our heart. Our world deals with a lot of pain and a lot of struggles. And I've heard it often said, what would people do without God's family? And we all say, I don't know. But we could also say, what would people do without a steady diet of God's Word. And we also could say, I don't know. Because without it, well, we become unhealthy spiritually. Notice what the psalmist would say about listening to the Word of God. You see, the psalmist would remind us, you can listen to one of two folks. You can listen to the world, or you can listen to the Word of God. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law he meditates day and night. But the psalmist says, listen, you can listen to the world, and if you do, you will not be blessed. You will not be healthy. Spiritually speaking. But if you walk in the words of the Lord and you feed on the words of the Lord, He says, you will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Notice that He says, meditate on it day and night. To meditate means to, uh, to ponder to dwell on, to, if you will, chew on it. 
Think about it. Don't just read it. Meditate on it. Chew on it. Dwell on it. And then act on it by applying it to our lives. And you see, those spiritual exercises will help us to have a committed faith. And then one other this morning. The exercise of worship and fellowship. You see, there's times we can make our worship just, ah, that's just something we do. That's important. That's what our culture has done over the years, though that's changing. That's what our family has done over the years. Though that can change as well. You see, coming together to worship, it's important. Not only is it commanded, but it's important. It helps us to grow individually and it helps us to grow as a family unit and also as a church family. First Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 29, the Bible says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. You remember what Jesus is recorded as saying in John chapter 4 about worship? But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Jesus Himself reminded this woman that worship is an important spiritual exercise because God is seeking those kind of worshipers. God is a spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Uh, the English word that uh, has evolved into or came from an Anglo-Saxon word that evolved into the English word worth-ship. And someone said, so when we speak of worshiping God, we mean we're responding according to His worthiness. Wow! When we come together to worship, we're responding to the One who is worthy of our worship. Folks, that's an important spiritual exercise. And it's profitable for the life here and the life to come. But something that evolves out of that also is the exercise of fellowship. It's profitable for all things as well. Acts 2 and verse 42, you remember when the church began? you remember what the Bible says? And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in their teaching, and in fellowship. The early Christians saw the importance of regular fellowship as a spiritual discipline and a spiritual exercise because it was profitable. It's profitable today. Someone has said, we tend to think of fellowship as a social activity, but it's more than just small talk. Isn't it interesting when we have difficulties, when we have problems in our lives, what naturally do we want to do? Now, some of us want to do it more than others. I get that. But naturally, it's healthy when we talk to someone about it, right? 
Why do we want people to go to counselors? Because we want them to talk about it. So you see, our fellowship is more than, hey man, how you doing? Man, wasn't that ball game great? It's like a story I heard of the other day of a guy coming up and he was prompted, however he was prompted, he was prompted that he felt like he needed to talk to this guy and he went up to him and he said, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. A small talk, right? And he put his hand on his shoulder and he looked at him and he said, well, how are you really doing? How are you doing in your relationship with God? How are you doing in your relationships with your family? Can we pray about that? You see, that's a deeper fellowship that goes beyond social activities and small talk. But just like Bodily exercise is important. These spiritual disciplines and exercises are important as well. Notice what Jesus said in John chapter 17 before He was arrested and crucified. He said this when He prayed for all believers, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world, the world, you see how important it is, that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, when we get along, when we lay differences aside at the foot of the cross, and we fellowship together and we worship together, it tells the world, you can believe in my Jesus. Right? You see, those spiritual exercises are that important. The Hebrew writer would say, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together. Because our coming together is that important as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. You see, regular gatherings of worship and spending time together and building relationships, they're important. They're profitable for the life here and the life that is to come. Well, we, if we had time, we could talk about serving and giving and sharing our faith and those kind of things. And those are important. They're all profitable. But the question we have to answer is, are we doing something with our faith? Are we exercising and using these spiritual exercises on a daily basis? Are we putting our faith into action? Because it makes a difference to what people in the world see. Notice this as we close. According to a researcher at the University of Michigan, a program of good exercise may help a person fight off colds and infections. That's good. I don't like to be sick. The theory is that a good workout puts the body in a condition similar to what happens at the onset of a fever. That's not all bad. Most biologists are of the opinion that a fever is the body's way of fighting back when micro-intruders get into the system. Increased body temperature seems to aid the white cell defense system while slowing down the action of bacteria and viruses. Exercise 
It is now thought does the same thing it releases chemicals into the blood that stimulate the brain to make our temperature rise, therefore fighting off bacteria and viruses. And we know that bodily exercise is profitable. And if bodily exercise does that for our body, imagine what these spiritual disciplines and these spiritual exercises will do for our soul. Satan knocking at your door? Saying, you need to be a part of this. You need to be involved. I know it's a sin, but you need to be involved in this because it's fun. It, man, you will have the time of your life. And Paul says, listen, when you exercise to godliness, it helps you fend off the tricks of the devil. Paul says bodily exercise is profitable, but godliness is profitable for all things. For the life now and the life to come. Have you given your life, have you submitted your life to Jesus Christ through faith and obedience and being buried with Him in baptism to rise in newness of life? If you haven't, are you ready? Listen to me. Are you ready to give your life to Jesus? Not to this church but to Jesus because see that is what makes all the difference. Maybe you're here today and you've been struggling in some of these spiritual exercises. Maybe Satan is knocking at your door trying to get in and you're struggling and you want to lay those things at the foot of the cross. You don't have to get specific but we are a family and we don't want you to walk it alone because we need each other because it's profitable for all things. As together we stand and sing.